big thanks to Stackery for supporting this episode. Stackery is the global leader in international parcel forwarding from the United States. Shop at any US retailer and ship anywhere, including Europe, with Stackery.com at prices up to 80% less than directly from the store. Stackery provides free storage, same-day consolidation of your packages, and a tax-free US address. Save 10% off your first shipment with the coupon Europeans. Find the link in our show notes. Stackery is spelled S-T-A-C-K-R-Y dot com. Welcome to the Europeans, your favourite European podcast brought to you this week from Munich in Germany and a pig farm in the English countryside. Hello, Dominic in Deutschland. <laughs> Hello, Katie in the pig farm. Which pig farm are you at? Uh, I'm at a pig farm in Suffolk. Oh, that's where my mum's family is from. Is it? It's very beautiful here. I've abandoned Paris for the weekend, everyone. Uh, I'm at a Hindu, what our American friends would call a bachelorette party, because my dear friend Lizzie, who grew up on the same street as me, is, is all grown up and getting married. It's very exciting. And we have rented a really charming barn in the English countryside, but there's just one problem with it, which is that it's right next to a pig farm. And you can hear this incredibly loud squealing over the garden hedge it does sound a little bit like they're being murdered to the extent where the owner sent us a text message to try and reassure us saying don't worry it's not actually an abattoir it's just a farm which was um a little unnerving i guess but apart from that it's been absolutely lovely the lady doth protest too much i don't really no it's been really really nice no i was talking about the farmer not you oh i see (laughs) you're used to me referring to you as the lady (laughs) i am because i am a lady it was a literary quote katie maybe you didn't get it such a pleb i don't understand any of your references um how are you you've been very busy because you've had your show this week I have had my show this week and yeah, I've been good. It has gone really well. People seem to really like it, even though it's incredibly uh, intense and like heavy, the topic matter. But um, yeah, they're all stamping and shouting at the end, wanting more. So yeah, we're very happy. And it's by far the most complicated thing I've ever had to put into my brain. And I am so pleased with myself for having actually memorized it and learned this piece because it is fiendishly difficult. So well done me. Yeah, good week me. Well done, Dominic. Do I get good week? You do. You get good week every week. You're a very good boy. But is it finished yet or not? Uh, I've got my last show this afternoon and then I fly off back to Amsterdam for one day and then head off to Teschelling, this island north of the Netherlands where they've got the biggest theatre festival in Holland. And I'm doing a theatre piece there with a collective. You and your jet-setting operatic career, you make me feel so boring. I'd quite like to be at home soon. Oh my God, speaking of though, so for this wedding, the hen party of which I am at, that wasn't very grammatical, I have to sing in German I've just found out really what are you singing I'm singing something called Abendlied with the choir oh Abendlied is lovely I was complaining that I didn't have a job to do in the wedding and Lizzie was like fine then sing in the choir and I was like okay fine maybe I will and now I have to learn how to sing in German so that's gonna be fun I feel like I'm gonna be you for the day well we can have lots of private coaching sessions starting this week um to prepare you (laughs) okay 
because I think I do need some help. Yeah, you can't let the side down. That's not fair to Lizzie. I am representing the Europeans at this wedding. So what have we got coming up this week, Katie? Uh, so I found a brilliant excuse to prolong my obsession with Slovenia. Our guest this week is Aliaj Pengov-Bitens. He is a Slovenian radio journalist and political commentator. And uh, we gave him a call to talk about what we should make of Slovenia's recent election, in which, you guessed it, a right-wing nationalist party came up top. Surprise, surprise. I'm spotting a theme here. I'm not. No, I am. I'm kidding. I'm not going to play stupid this week. Not like usual. But first, it's Good Week, Bad Week. Good Week, Bad Week. Last week, you may remember, was a bad week for Mariano Rajoy, who became the first Spanish prime minister ever to get kicked out of office in a vote of no confidence. Uh, this week has been a pretty good replacement for his replacement, Pedro Sanchez, who you may remember is nicknamed Mr. Handsome, although we're not going to dwell on that because we do not objectify on this podcast. Um, Sanchez has been generating a lot of headlines because he appointed a majority female cabinet, 11 women and six men, uh, including loads of women in senior positions, including defence, economy, education and the justice post. It's pretty cool. Not many governments have gender parity. There's only a few of them, including Canada, France and Sweden. And it does seem to be kind of a sign of the times in Spain. that The country does seem to be having this kind of feminist moment. And yes, Dominic, I am going to use this as an opportunity to plug a previous episode. We did a great interview with the Spanish feminist activist Brigitte Fasayo a few weeks back on uh, May 7th, in which we talked about whether Spain was having some kind of feminist revolution. So do give that a listen if you're interested. There's been loads of kind of splashy announcements, along with all these women. Sanchez has appointed a former astronaut, a science minister. However, as mentioned last week, it's a minority government which might not last very long because you might not be able to get any laws passed. And I do think that also, while it's obviously great news in and of itself to have so many women running Spain, I do think we should retain our usual cynicism on this podcast and wait and see what this government actually does. Good idea, Katie. But I guess the uh, officials across Europe will be breathing a sigh of relief as well at this new government because it's a government that is yeah, pretty pro-EU, I think which is quite something in these days. In this day and age. In this day and age, not in these days. Stay tuned for, for more on that later. Oh, God. I can talk in German and Czech, but I can't speak in English anymore. Sorry, listeners. Feel free. Let's do it in German and Czech this week. I can only speak in like really broken German as well because we only sing syllables of words, not complete words. What's your favourite German syllable? So. <laughs> What's that mean? We say it very many times. So. So. So, I think. So, like, ach so. Yeah. Ach so. Exactly. Um, who has it been a bad week for? Well, it's kind of been a bad week for America's ambassador to Germany, Richard Grenell or Grenell. What are we saying? Grenell. Grenell Monet. Grenell sounds America, does, American, doesn't it? Anyway, he has landed himself in hot water after speaking to this uh, highly sophisticated journalistic outfit known as Breitbart News. You may have heard of it. That was very snide. Um, thank you. Uh, about his desire to empower other conservatives across Europe. This, among other comments, including a description of the far-right Austrian leader, Sebastian Kurz, as a rock star, the lamest rock star I've ever seen. <laughs> They've led to calls from many saying that he is breaking diplomatic protocol and interfering in domestic political movements. Though others actually from both sides of the political fence have kind of come to his defence saying, yeah, there's no such thing as like a rule book for diplomatic protocol and he can say what he likes and sometimes he will say things that people don't like. That said, the incident has clearly irked him and he is unhappy with the response to it. So therefore, ha ha, 
Richard, you got bad week. <laughs> I like that you're on a first name basis now, just because you can't pronounce his surname. Um, so he's decided to backtrack slightly on his comments with a source from the embassy saying the following. He especially does not want to be considered in Germany as a supporter of the forces of the right, the source said. Instead, he wishes to lay the basis for close and confident cooperation with German partners. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, it sounds very nice, doesn't it? And I guess we should just be pleased that he hasn't come out openly in support of the alternative for Deutschland, the far right party here in Germany. So silver lining, eh? I guess so. But I mean, his original comments really do sound a lot like meddling in domestic politics, which as far as I was aware, wasn't part of your job as an ambassador. Yeah, it's true. But like, since when has anyone from the Trump administration like done anything that's part of what their job's meant to be? Maybe he should come on the podcast and explain himself. We'd love to have you on the show, Mr. Ambassador. We're very good at having ambassadors on this podcast. Yes, we would. Katie's very reverential. um, (laughs) So she will be happily happily call you Mr. Ambassador for the whole time. I love calling people Mr. Ambassador. I'd call you Mr. Ambassador if I was allowed. You are allowed. Okay, that's weird. I think we should move on. Okay. Time to give our good friend Alias a call from Luxembourg. Alias. It was me who could pronounce it, Katie, not you. Do you remember we had the test on who could pronounce it better and I was better? Yeah, stay tuned for Dominic passing the Slovenian test with flying colours when I failed dismally. So unfair. Anyway, so our guest Aliaj is going to talk to us about what happened in the recent Slovenian elections where the anti-immigration Slovenia first party, SDS, won with 25% of the vote but has a big challenge ahead trying to form a coalition. There was like a really controversial presence during this election from the far-right Hungarian leader Viktor Orban he his presence loomed large and we asked Aliaj for his take on this election as a Slovenian himself even though he lives partly in Luxembourg now he is a great person to talk to about this not only because he knows everything about Slovenia but because he's also a podcaster and he runs two podcasts in Slovenia which have become very successful over there and Katie and I had the pleasure of appearing on one of his podcasts a month ago and he also has a very entertaining blog pengovsky.com so if you find him entertaining you should check out pengovsky.com because he writes really hilariously about Slovenia and about political machinations over there. He does indeed. Let's hear from him. Uh, it seems like the results were like very fragmented and there's lots of uncertainty about who's going to be able to form a coalition government. But I was wondering if you could start telling us by like who are the big winners? Uh, well, there's a number of ways to look at this as is normal with the coalition systems. I mean, the big winner, uh, if you can call them that, are the SDS of former Prime Minister Janis Janša. They took a quarter of the votes cast. Presumably, they will get the first crack at forming the government, uh, which, as you say, will be uh, very difficult. But then there are other uh, smaller winners, if you can call them that. For example, the um, party of uh, incumbent prime minister, Miro Cerar, they were considered politically dead as late as January, but uh, made a comeback. And they're now what third or fourth strongest party in the parliament. And them being a liberal party is sort of normal for liberals to be, you know, somewhere in between, not being the prevalent force. Another winner is Viktor Orban, obviously, but I guess we'll talk about, talk about that a bit later. Um, there are a couple of losers, notably the Pensioners Party. They were part of virtually every coalition since 1996 onwards. Wait a second. There's there's a party just for old people in Slovenia. Well, 
more or less, they declare themselves as a pensioners party, but they, if all the old people would vote for them, they'd be the largest party in Slovenia, but they're not. So it's more of a, a spin or rather trying to, to address a niche. But uh, in general, people of, of uh, middle age and older, they tend to vote for them. There's one in the Netherlands too. Is there? Yeah, there is. It does very well as well. It's genius because like countries with aging populations, it's a genius strategy. I love it. I might set one up myself. <laughs> You're way too young for that. Seriously. <laughs> Thank you. It's very kind of you. Um, Listen, so from abroad, this election result is being seen kind of as part of this populist wave across Central Europe and Europe more broadly. Is it though? I mean, I've seen uh, at least one analyst pointing out that the SES only got 4% more than what they got at the last election. So I was just wondering to what extent you see this result as part of this international populist trend? Yes and no. I mean, uh, what's prevalent throughout this populist trend in Europe is that it's the anti-establishment parties that get huge majorities. That is not the case here. I mean, SDS is as establishment as it gets. They're one of the oldest parties in Slovenia, and they've been in power a couple of times. Uh, Janez Janša personally won 2004 elections. He's been the prime minister then. He was prime minister for a short period of time again in 2012. So this is not some anti-establishment rage vote. But they have successfully ridden this um, populist, anti-immigrant, anti-establishment wave, which to some extent they have helped fuel themselves in the last couple of years. So short answer, yes and no. This is not the Cinque Stelle of, of Italy or even, I don't know, um, Marine Le Pen in France or God forbid Nigel Farage. But it does take elements of all the mentioned. Um, I mean, we talked about Viktor Orban shortly earlier, um, but I, a lot of the English-speaking media has really focused on the fact that uh, Jansha, is it? do we pronounce it Jansa or Jansha? Jansha, Jansha. A lot of them have focused on the fact that Jansha is allied to Hungary's controversial leader, Viktor Orban. But how significant has Orban's presence been in this election for Slovenians themselves? Very. I mean, it's been significant for Jansha himself. Orban helped Jansha financially as well as politically. There's um, a small subset of the media landscape in Slovenia that is extremely pro-Jansha. It, uh, there are media outlets that were co-owned by Jansha's party, created directly by him and his supporters. And uh, after that, didn't really take off. People in Viktor Orban's orbit came in with a fairly significant uh, cash injections, or rather monetary injections. And um, that helped fuel the, well, the bubble, if you will. It's, it was sort of a, reinfor- a self-reinforcing echo chamber, which animated the base. So in that respect, Jansha relied heavily on Orban, uh, also relied heavily on Orban's rhetoric and policies and basically copied most of them from the anti-immigrant policies to anti-immigrant rhetoric to even some uh, borderline anti-Semitism and Soros bashing and what have you. So there is a distinct connection. Um, it is not unreasonable to think of Jansha as a sort of an urban light, if you will. Mm. Um, as you know, and as everyone knows, because I won't stop talking about it, I've just got back from holiday in Slovenia. Yay! I didn't really see any immigrants anywhere. And that, I think, is something that it has in common with the Hungarian election, is that immigration became this huge issue, but doesn't really seem to be an issue. So, like, why why does this rhetoric tend to do so well at the moment? Well, I, I guess it's for the same reason that... Uh, 
AFD gets uh, high percentage points in non-immigrant German uh, uh, constituencies? Like, you know, it's it, the halo effect. It's not the immigrants, it's the fear of them that drives this sort of vote. Slovenia was on the so-called Western Balkans migrant route in 2015, and there were hundreds of thousands of immigrants and refugees passed through Slovenia on their way to um, Germany, Austria, whatever. And so there was this, um, I hate to use the word emergency, but there was this issue that it took a lot of resources to deal with in a more or less humane way, although there are people who might take issue with the description of the treatment being humane. But there is this sort of um, awareness of the issue. However, there are not many immigrants in Slovenia. I think the numbers right now are about in the low hundreds, so they're not there for all intents and purposes. Uh, again, to make a comparison, during the Balkan Wars, specifically Bosnia Wars, Slovenia gave shelter to as many as 70,000 refugees. And uh, it was a much poorer country there with much less resources and not as organized as it is today. And yet it could cope. So it's not a real issue, but it is something that stokes fear in people, especially uh, people in Slovenia who don't tend to travel around the world all that much. And I have this ingrained fear of the other as a part of a national psyche. So Slovenia is now, uh, you, you were saying it was, it didn't used to be so rich, but it's now one of the richest countries in the region, I believe. True. And I was wondering, could you give us a quick outline of what you think some of the biggest issues that the next government are going to have to deal with? Um, w- what's going to be on their, their to-do list? The biggest issue domestically will be the trade unions, the public sector unions, uh, because uh, one of the things that the outgoing government did not finish was this huge huge batch of negotiations regarding uh, pay rises, etc., etc. It all has to do with the fallout of the economic and the financial crisis of 2008. Uh, one of the reasons Slovenia made it without a troika, at least officially, was that the unions, among other stakeholders, agreed to take a significant pay cut or at the very least to uh, forestall the expected wage rises that were sort of common in the public sector. There's also the fact that the VAT was raised and a number of other approaches were taken. And now with the economy growing at, uh, what, 5% annually for 2017, I think, people want, you know, they want the austerity measures to stop uh, or even maybe be reversed uh, in some manner. So there's a lot of that that will need to be handled regardless of which government uh, comes into power. And if the SDS does manage to form a government, is there anything specific that they're going to do on immigration or is it mostly just talk to get themselves elected? I would imagine that this would be more of a bargaining chip for everything else. You know, every time things would get um, dodgy for them domestically, they could bring up the migrant issue feed again into this um, fear of the, that they've helped stoke in the first place. So um, mostly just talk, but, you know, just a, an occasion show of force because um, going on previous experience, Janša-led governments tend to be more of a autocratic, for a lack of a better word. They uh, rely more heavily on the security apparatus than 
left-wing government, or at the very least, they do this more openly. I've got one final question quickly before you have to go to the vets. It's a bit of bit left field. So Melania Trump is the uh, probably most famous Slovenian in the world at the moment, and we've just <laughs> yes. today. She's reappeared after weeks of speculation about her absence. Um, where is Melania? I was wondering whether does the Slovenian media cover her like lovingly? Uh, do they? Is there like pride for her? Yes, but within an agenda. I mean, uh, she gets more coverage in the Yansha friendly media. That's because Yansha friendly also means Trump friendly. Yeah. There's a connection there as well. And uh, so, yes, she gets more coverage there. Whereas the mainstream media, so to speak, cover her more in the forms of a lifestyle section, you know, as a normal um, media landscape would. Because uh, First Lady, for all her media exposure, has very little political power. And uh, Melania Knaus, as she was known back then, left Slovenia at the tender age of 16. And uh, to her credit, she never looked back. She made it on her own, and I don't think she feels she owes anything uh, to Slovenia or its inhabitants, whereas I don't think it goes the other way quite as much. I forgot to tell you, Dominic, um, while I was in Ljubljana, I saw a cafe that was selling Melania pie. Oh, wow. Oh, I thought uh, there was a um, a legal issue regarding <laughs> really? that. I know that there was a, soon after the inauguration, there was a place in her native Seunica, that uh, sold Melania burgers and then I think there was a, a barrister in Slovenia that, that uh, actually made them take it off the menu because of the copyright infringement. So Really? Yes, and I think they're very strict about that. On behalf of Melania? Yeah. Amazing. Well, I hope that this cafe manages to get away with it because it did look really good. Yeah, yeah. I took a picture of it, which I will post on Instagram. It says it's a first lady pie with a touch of luscious wax apples from Sevnica, which as you said is her home region. Isn't that lovely? It is, it is. And it's very, very descriptive as well. <laughs> is there a bit of shade in comparing her to wax apples? <laughs> suggesting that because of her... Yeah, I, I mean, I would imagine. <laughs> Unsmiling wax apples. That was the great Aliage Pengov Bitens. You can find him on Twitter at Pengovsky, P-E-N-G-O-V-S-K-Y, where he does very good tweeting about regional politics. Um, as Dominic mentioned, we were actually on Aliage's podcast, uh, one of them, uh, which is kind of like a Slovenian version of ours, I guess. Uh, it's normally in Slovenian, obviously, but if you do want to hear us wittering on in English about what this podcast is and some of our thoughts about Europe, uh, we will post a link to that. He actually asked us some really tough questions. I remember the day it happened. You and me, you were in Paris at the time, and uh, we'd just come in from this really long walk on like a really hot day in Paris, and we're like feeling a little bit punch drunk. And suddenly, Aliage was like asking us really hard questions about Europe. And it was terrifying, but a really, really good chat. It was quite hard work, but you are actually lying or you've misremembered because I was in London. Really? Oh, it must have been a different one. I just got back from London. Yeah. And but it was I literally just got off a flight and arrived home at my parents' house. I was like, hi, parents, I've got to go and record. Um, and then we got asked these really difficult questions and I was flustered. He asked us about white guilt and stuff like that. And I was not prepared. Um, but it was really a, a really great chat. I have misremembered that. I think we've been guests too many times because I'm thinking of something else. Clearly. Clearly you are. God, we're so popular these days. Um, anyway, I think it's time for happy ending. Yes, it is. Happy 
This week, I read some very happy news that everyone who arrives in Russia for the World Cup this summer will be greeted with a smile. Isn't that nice, Katie? That's nice, but isn't that to be expected? Well, yes, but maybe not in Russia because... This reporting I read in the BBC from Steve Rosenberg suggested that culturally smiling isn't like as normal a practice from customer service agents. And the reason why they will be smiling is because Russian workers are getting training to know how to be polite and to smile at the tourists who are arriving. So it's kind of a funny one because it feels a little bit like they're trying to make out that Russia's much more friendly than it actually is. It feels a little bit like propaganda. I guess, on the other hand, smiles are powerful. And if these people encourage a smile, then maybe their lives will be happier, the workers, as well as the people they'll be smiling at. So I actually think we shouldn't be too snarky about the Russians encouraging people to be polite and smile. Because I bet the London Olympic uh, staff volunteers in 2012 had some kind of briefing about being friendly as well so I don't think we should blow it out of proportion I think it's nice but I wonder if why are we forcing the Russians to adapt to everyone else's culture maybe everyone turning up for the World Cup should just stop smiling and learn to appreciate Russian culture instead this wonderful culture of not smiling at anyone if you don't want to I kind of think that's great like everyone's just got like resting bitchy face what is it called resting bitch face resting bitch face not resting bitchy face <laughs> it's very early and I'm very tired I've forgotten how to talk um, everyone's just got that all the time it's nice there was a really good uh, interview in this short video from BBC about this issue where uh, a Russian activist or director she was talking about how she was stopped by the police once for smiling in the street she got stopped for because it was, was suspicious yeah he was like he stopped her and asked uh, I asked her some questions and she said sorry why have I been stopped and he said because you were smiling <laughs> And it was suspicious. You must be on drugs or planning a terrorist attack. Yeah. What is wrong with you? Yeah. I mean, you're probably right that we shouldn't make Russia adapt to our culture. But I kind of think we should make everyone in the world smile or like encourage people to smile. That is so imperialist of you, Dominic. Do you think smiling is an an imperialist Thing? I do now just because I'm trying to pick a fight for no reason. Okay. No, I think smiling's very nice and um I think it's lovely that the Russians are being taught to do it. Is it going to involve like people pushing up their cheeks in the classes to show them how? No, it's like uh there are psychologists giving training about like how to get the best response from people and stuff. So Aww. it's not at all scary or like sinister. <laughs> Listeners, thank you once again for listening to us from the pig farm and from my little apartment in Munich, which I'm about to leave. We have some very sad news for you. I'm sorry to be a Debbie Downer following our happy ending, but Katie and I have decided we are going to take a few weeks off. Woohoo! That's not sad news. What are you talking about? It's amazing. Okay, it's amazing news for us, but it's very sad news for our listeners. How are they going to cope without us? Anyway, we won't be gone too long, and um, just please don't forget that we exist. We were kind of scared to take a break because we were like, but maybe... Maybe they'll all forget about us when we're gone. So prove us wrong and carry on telling all your friends about us, please. Because when we come back, we would love it if you were all still there. And we love receiving all the emails and the messages and the wonderful reviews. So 
thank you so much we've really enjoyed this first six months basically of podcasting every week every single week and also please don't hit unsubscribe because we are possibly going to be putting out a few uh, nuggets during our break depending on what happens there's at least one interview with one of our favorite europeans which we are desperately hoping is going to happen in the next few weeks but yeah i think this holiday is justified as a european experience as you know in europe we have like really great rights to time off so it's actually a really european thing that we're doing right now and we're also going to take the time to like develop the podcast and hopefully find a bit of funding for the podcast so that we can invest in more original reporting of our own so if you have any ideas on that front uh, particularly money then let <laughs> us know where is the money please tell us where is it um but in the meantime everyone have a wonderful summer across europe and uh we'll be back before you know it it's only going to be a few weeks sadly for katie <laughs> I've like just managed to de-traumatize myself from the weekly edit when we announce our triumphant comeback. Oh, what? You edit this podcast? Yeah, apparently I do. Oh, I thought you, I thought you just put it out live, Katie. I thought we were like eloquent enough. Really good at talking. Uh, one of our listeners yeah. suggested that we do a live show. <laughs> it's just like, um, yeah, I, I don't think we're quite ready for that talking out loud in front of people one of our other listeners my husband said that we need to stop being so self-deprecating katie but we're british that's what we do yeah i guess so it's part of our job but i actually i'm starting to think that maybe we could do a live show maybe we should gauge the interest in that um everyone let us know send us a tweet or an email or however you usually get in touch an instagram personal message because i do know how to read those now and uh let us know if you might pretend to be interested in coming to see us that would be fun actually yeah we'd have to work out where to do it because our listeners are all over the place we'll do a grand tour and we'll do shows to like two people in each town yes i love that that's much less scary actually (laughs) i mean it's essentially a holiday oh you know what we could do we could do that um european cycling route that goes all the way around around the entire continent and just like keep stopping off and doing live tours i definitely think we should do that i love this plan we'll get planning and in in between on the internet we will we won't be abandoning you on uh, twitter and facebook and all those other places where we usually hang out so do find us we are on twitter we are on facebook we are on instagram just type in the europeans you'll find us have a great few weeks europe And uh, we'll be back before you know it. Adios, amigos. Bravo. We often ask our guests, as you probably know, to give us a tongue twister. And we've never had a Slovenian one before. So I wondered if you might have one up your sleeve. I do. Try this on for size. Schmurl. Schmurl. Very good, Dominic. Thank you. Damn it. It's one of the few Slovenian words without vowels in it. No vowels. Ooh. Yeah. How do you spell it? Ch M R L J. Schmurl. Schmurl. What does it mean? Bumblebee. Oh, that's Aww. lovely. It's almost on the Matapiak. There you go.